2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. Ahithophel was an esteemed royal counsellor, an astute politician, a man whose wisdom in the affairs of state was much sought after. He had been King David's counsellor, but now, swimming with the tide of contemporary events, Ahithophel has aligned himself with David's son, Absalom, who has launched a successful coup d'etat against his own father, expelling his own father from the throne. This rebellion by Absalom was the subject of the previous chapter. It is successful. David has to flee Jerusalem. Absalom has been installed in Jerusalem as the king. Ahithophel now counsels Absalom to send 12,000 men to hunt David down. Absalom's successful entry into Jerusalem uh, was described in verse 15 of the previous chapter. And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And so Absalom, by a publicity campaign, has been incredibly successful and skillful in winning over most of the people to his cause, including this highly prized counsellor, Ahithophel. Despite this great advantage, however, Absalom will only enjoy a short-lived triumph because his usurping of his father from the throne was in direct opposition to the will of God. David was God's appointed king. For all his political skill, Absalom should have realised that human wisdom and scheming can never thwart the purposes of God, who never ceases to overrule in the affairs of men, even when they act in defiance of him. Now the Lord in his providence does give men the leeway to sin. God permits men to sin. 
But as he does so, it is only to ripen them for judgment in his perfect timing. No person, even in this life, can ever escape from God's government over him. Even the most ardent atheist remains under the government and the sovereignty of God. Now we further read in verse 16 of the previous chapter. And it came to pass when Hushai the archite, David's friend, was come unto Absalom, that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. The young Absalom is doubtless flashed with an ever greater sense of success. He is overwhelmed with pride at how he is managed to accomplish what he has done, bringing down David. Uh, and, and he's also increased in confidence because he sees not only a Hithophel come over to his side, uh, but also it seems David's friend Hushai, uh, who we see here gaining Absalom's confidence. Hushai was of the clan of the Archites who lived in Ephraim. He had served as an official advisor to David. Now, Hushai had wanted to follow David in his escape from Jerusalem. But David had persuaded Hushai to return to the city and to attach himself to Absalom. And if Hushai was present in the court of Absalom, he would be able to send back vital intelligence to David. In God's providence at the moment, Absalom is on the throne. Not rightfully so, but that was the present immediate reality. So Hushai decides temporarily to accept this. He gives due respect to Absalom as king, although of course he has no right to be king. And so he is stationed in the royal court, but he is going to pass on vital information to David. Now, David is praying that the presence of Hushai in Absalom's court will be used by God to work in his favour as opposed to Absalom's cause and in opposition to any advice which Ahithophel might give to Absalom. Remember, Ahithophel is a highly astute and greatly esteemed counsellor. He has much wisdom in affairs of state, and he's now on Absalom's side. But David is uh, hoping and praying that the presence of Hushai 
in the court might in some way counteract the influence of Ahithophel. Now when, as we just quoted from the previous chapter, when Hushai said to Absalom, God save the king, uh, he was paying a due respect to Absalom, but he may well in his heart have actually meant David when he said that rather than Absalom. Well, Absalom is brimming with confidence. As two of David's trusted counsellors join him. In his pride, however, we see the seeds of his downfall. For all his worldly success thus far, Absalom is defying Almighty God. God has decreed that David is the rightful king. Absalom is working against that. Now in God's providence, Hushai will oppose the wise counsel of Ahithophel given to Absalom and will thereby sow doubt in Absalom's mind about the best course of action. Now this does not necessarily mean that Hushai will be deliberately deceptive. He will say what he thinks, but the Lord will use this to contradict the advice of Ahithophel. This is all happening in God's providence. And of course Hushai is also able to tell David as soon as he is able about what Absalom is planning to do. So we read in this first verse, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out twelve thousand men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. The action is moving fast here. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only. So Ahithophel recommends a rapid pursuit of David whilst he is still tired, disorganised and in flight from the city. Absalom must strike whilst the iron is hot. That's Ahithophel's advice. He must remove David from the scene altogether. Now in purely political and military terms, this is very sound advice. The removal of David would ensure the lasting success of Absalom's rebellion. And so the aim is to capture David and kill David. That's what Ahithophel is counselling. And to do it quickly, that night. Verse 3. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned. So all the people shall be in peace. 
And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. So, Ahithophel is arguing here that if David is captured and put to death, all his remaining support will evaporate. The elders of Israel also support Ahithophel's plan immediately to pursue David. Verse 5, then said Absalom, call now Hushai the archite also and let us likewise hear what he saith. So before making a final decision on whether to follow Ahithophel's advice and immediately pursue David that night with 12,000 men, the Lord in his overriding providence causes Absalom to seek the advice of his other major counsellor, Hushai. Verse 6, And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel hath spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak that. And Hushai said unto Absalom, verse 7, the counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. So here we see Hushai in God's providence contradicting Ahithophel's advice. Now Hushai was not necessarily being deliberately deceptive here deliberately just saying something different to Ahithophel. He may genuinely be advising what he thought was best. But God is overruling the whole situation for David's good. In purely military terms, Ahithophel's advice was the best. But if Absalom listens to Hushai, this will gain valuable time for David to gather an army and to remove himself into those regions beyond the River Jordan where he would be safer. Verse 8, For said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And my father is a man of war and will not lodge with the people. So Hushai reinforces his argument by reminding the king what an experienced warrior David is. Remember who you're dealing with, Absalom. David's men will be angry like a wild bear which has just lost its young. They will be eagerly scheming to reverse what Absalom has done. Furthermore, David will be hiding in a separate, separate location from most of his soldiers. It will not be easy to find him. He will not lodge with the people. Verse 9, Behold, he is hid now in some pit, 
or in some other place. And it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first, that's Absalom's pursuing soldiers, that whosoever heareth it will say, there is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. So Hushai here tells Absalom that his forces could initially be subjected to a surprise ambush by David from his hiding place with just a small contingent of highly skilled fighters with him. Even though the main body of his men are not with him, just a small contingent of highly experienced fighters, these could do great harm in an ambush upon the forces of Absalom pursuing David. And the effect of this initial attack on the morale of Absalom's men could be devastating. David and his men are so skillful militarily that is the risk you, Absalom, are taking. This is Hushai's counsel to Absalom. Verse 10, And he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. You see, David's reputation as a mighty man of war throughout the nation is not going to just suddenly evaporate. A clever sudden attack by David and just a few of his soldiers upon just some of Absalom's men could have the effect of completely disheartening all the rest of Absalom's men even those who are valiant and courageous amongst them. Therefore, says Hushai, David should not be immediately pursued by these 12,000 men that very night. In any case, it will not be easy to find him. Verse 11, Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person. So rather than sending the 12,000 out that very night, Hushai counsels that Absalom should muster a great nationwide army from the length and breadth of the land. And then Hushai says to Absalom that Absalom should personally lead this national army, this much enlarged force in the assault upon David. That's what Hushai advises. Verse 12, so shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found. And we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him there shall not be left so much as one. So Hushai is advising that the best approach for Absalom 
is a mass battle with Absalom having all the possible forces at his disposal which he is able to muster. And that it is best that this conflict is entered into with Absalom being at the head of the army himself. Now with this much larger army, this will be an opportunity to wipe out David and his followers once and for all. Well, this idea of Absalom himself leading a great national army against David appeals to Absalom's vanity and pride. Hushai continues in verse 13, Moreover, if he, David, be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. So if David holds himself up in a city somewhere, says Hushai, then our army will be large enough to take that city and destroy that city. And so Absalom really likes this idea of personally leading to victory a great national army. Verse 14, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. But then, the second part of verse 14, we have the key to the whole passage which we are considering. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Absalom decides to listen to Hushai rather than Ahithophel. And so he fails immediately to send out a force to capture David that night whilst he is at his weakest. This would prove to be a grave error on Absalom's part and indeed his undoing. But what we are witnessing here is the providence of God at work. The Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel and the Lord used Hushai to do that. And so it is God who has ordained that Absalom would not heed the best advice. You see, the hearts of leaders are in the hands of Almighty God. And so Absalom, at this point, makes a grave strategic error. But it all happens in the providence of God. And so here we see providence overruling the supposed wisdom of man. 
And the prayers of David and his men are making a real difference as this whole situation unfolds. Absalom at this moment has the upper hand. But he makes a vital strategic error which will ultimately lead to his downfall. And so this is the overruling of God's providence. In August of 1940, the German Air Force had managed to destroy uh, many airfields in southern England. The situation was desperate. Uh, Many RAF pilots had been killed. Many fighter planes had been taken out of action. It looked like the RAF was going to fail in its attempt to carry on defending the nation before an invasion force came across the channel. However, as we move into September 1940, we see that the Germans made an appalling strategic error. Instead of carrying on in their assault upon the airfields, they completely changed tactics and started bombing London instead. This gave opportunity for the RAF to regroup, to repair the bombed runways, to get the spares and repair the damaged planes. It was an appalling strategic error as far as the Germans were concerned, but it changed the course of the Battle of Britain. And of course, uh, the nation was praying, praying earnestly that God would have mercy. On September the 8th, there was a national day of prayer. And by September the 15th, the course of the Battle of Britain had changed. And the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, soon gave up and the invasion, the German invasion was cancelled. And so we see in that the providence of God overruling, moving a leader to make a grave strategic error. And this is exactly what we see here with Absalom. He should have pursued David that very same night but he chose not to thankfully this is the Lord overruling David you see was the Lord's appointed king Absalom was foolishly trying to thwart the will of God himself wicked men are not going to succeed in removing David from his rightful place as king 
After all, it is from David's loins that the very saviour of the world is to come. No earthly leader can frustrate the purposes of Almighty God. No matter what power rulers and governments take to themselves, it is the Trinitarian God, it is the ascended Christ who overrules in all the affairs of men. The sophisticated men of this world are but pawns in the hands of God. Now Absalom had plenty of worldly wisdom and he had also just listened to two eminent royal counsellors. But he could do nothing to prevent God from making him make the wrong decision against his own best interest. This is the hand of the Lord. Notice again verse 14. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. So this is a frightening warning to all non-believers today. That God can use even their own thoughts and decisions against themselves. All Absalom's scheming and plotting, his obtaining of highly influential people to support him, his winning the hearts of the great mass of the people, having shrewd advisers around him, all this was going to come to nothing in the providence of God. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. When God's hand is against a man, there is nothing that that man can do to escape the hand of divine justice. Many people today think that they can successfully live their lives defying God. They think that their human sophistication can get them by and make them succeed. But it is the providence of God that controls all the circumstances of man. In Job 5 and verse 12, we read this, Job 5 verse 12, God disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. Worldly wisdom often appears to work. But God is not mocked. There will always be a day of reckoning. Absalom's sin is going to catch up with him. And God has ways of frustrating 
the purposes of the worldly wise which they never imagined. Let us remember that it was the worldly wise who put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6, we speak wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who nailed the Lord Jesus Christ to a cross? It was the sophisticated, worldly wise leaders of society. And when they had done that, they thought their purpose was accomplished. But all the while, the providence of God was overruling and preparing them for judgment. What great store people set by their man-made wisdom. But those who ignore the wisdom of God become too wise for their own good. We read earlier from 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 3 verse 19. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. With God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. We live in an age where the leaders of the day and the opinion formers of our time think that they are wiser than all the generations who've gone before. That is where we are at in modern Britain. There is a pride in the wisdom of this world. And so this has all kinds of dangerous consequences. This trust in human wisdom. Absalom used all his worldly wisdom against David. But in his free will actions, Absalom was nevertheless unable to escape the sovereignty of God. Ahithophel was highly prized for all his political astuteness. But in siding with Absalom, he too was trying to fight against God. And so he now finds the king ignoring his advice. Ahithophel actually ended up hanging himself when he realised that David would be restored to power. So much for his political astuteness. But how prone people are to elevate human wisdom above the revelation of God in Holy Scripture. 
And we see this happening in our own society today. Our contemporary society has been taken over by the creed of cultural Marxism, by the woke agenda. We see a general acceptance of evolutionary theory. We see the dismissal of any notion of God as the creator of all things. We see the embracing of a climate change narrative uh, which is devoid of any strong scientific basis. Carbon dioxide is good for the planet. It makes things grow. Much of our society and our national institutions are absolutely obsessed in their support of the LGBT agenda. The wisdom of this world says that gender is a social construct and that anyone can change their gender just by a process of personal choice. This is where the elevation of human wisdom takes a society. Critical race theory has been adopted by many national institutions, disseminating the unbiblical notion that all sin and social evil in the world is the preserve of just one particular segment of humanity, those in the West who have a certain skin colour. That is now mainstream thinking. That is the wisdom of this world. And so our young people are being taught that Britain must hang its head in shame for its horrible, wicked history. We see the denigration of the nation-state in favour of a globalist approach to all the major issues of our time. And so there is a great danger, for example, of control of our own health being handed over to the World Health Organization. They can decide whether society should be shut down or not because of a pandemic. This is the wisdom of this world. Now all these Bible-rejecting errors are advocated by the great and the good in our society. And all this worldly wisdom is exhibited as being civilised and progressive and enlightened and advanced. But the so-called wisdom that is now totally engulfing our contemporary society is utterly contrary to the word of God. You know, the wisdom of this world says that vast amounts of taxpayers' money uh, should be spent on childcare, even for young babies. So that the mothers can go straight out to work. That's the wisdom of this world. 
that mothers should not stay at home and look after their children. We must reject the wisdom of this world. When people defy God, reveling in their worldly wisdom, even though multitudes are with them, they cannot escape from God's providential control and indeed from his justice. We read in Amos 9 and verse 3, Amos 9 and verse 3, Though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. In other words, no one can escape the justice of God. So let us return to that key sentence in this passage, verse 14. It tells us that the providence of God is overruling in all affairs. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. Those who oppose God and his commandments risk being blinded and hardened in their understandings as an aspect of God's punishment upon them. Why did Absalom make that strategic error of not pursuing David that night? Because the Lord blinded his understanding. And those who defy God today should realise that God is not mocked. He can make them make all the wrong decisions. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So those who reject the gospel risk being given over to an embracing of the foolish ideas of men. This is one of the ways in which God will judge them. God shall send them strong delusion. So our task is to take up the fight and cast off the fashionable wisdom of this world, which sadly has infiltrated many churches as well. The wisdom of this world is seeking to destroy our Christian civilization. It is seeking to destroy the family. It is seeking to destroy the basic ordinance of just two genders. It is seeking to destroy the Bible's authority. The wisdom of this world is anti-Christian. So we must remember that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And we warn those who embrace the wisdom of this world that the providence 
of our God can never be thwarted. Amen.